Yes, it is my last day at APC. It's very sad. I've been having, I've been having lots of last moments recently, and this is my last talk. So uh, because this is my last talk, um, I really wanted to share with you some of the things that are on my heart for you guys for your future, and also some of my memories of APC as well, some of the precious moments uh, that I've experienced over the past four years. And uh, this passage to me is uh, a really beautiful, a really human passage. And I think one of the reasons it is so relatable is because we can really understand what these guys were going through. I think we can share their pain as we begin to reflect on what it must have been like for them uh, following the death of Jesus. We can share their intrigue as this bloke pulls up alongside them and starts to talk to them about Jesus' death and resurrection. And we share their joy as finally they realise that this is Jesus, that the whole time it had been Jesus. So to me, this is a great passage to end on uh, for my last one, but also as it's uh, Easter Sunday. And uh, these are two guys on a journey. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm also going to be beginning a journey of my own. And uh, I'm going to be doing a 500-mile walk, uh, a pilgrimage, from a place in France called Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port through to a place in Spain called Santiago to, uh, to Compostela. And uh, when I mentioned this in a morning sermon uh, a couple of months ago, I mentioned that a pilgrimage is a physical journey of spiritual transformation. And uh, I think as evangelicals, sometimes we can try and distance ourselves away from things like this, uh, sometimes quite understandably, because we don't want to be associated with things like uh, venerating the saints necessarily, or things like superstitions, like touching a place where there's supposedly a holy person has been buried, quite understandably. Sometimes I do think we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And uh, the most common guidebook used by pilgrims on the Camino de Santiago is written by a guy called John Briley. And uh, in his guidebook, he says that pilgrimage can be a metaphor for life. He says that just as things happen to us in life, so we can see parallels of those things or the pilgrimage and vice versa. So, for example, maybe I twist an ankle one day. Please, God, no. Maybe I do. And uh, I have to, be, uh, have to rest for a day. Well, sometimes in life, things happen to us that make us stop. And uh, we have some time to reflect on what we're doing with our lives, on the, the direction we're going with our lives. Or maybe I'll have a conversation with a fellow pilgrim about something that's going on in their life. And it points towards the fact that actually all of us are called to be ministers of reconciliation. People through whom God brings his life to the people and places that surround us. So I'm going to be going on an exciting journey. Uh, for me, this journey I know is going to change me. I don't quite know how. I don't quite know what or who I'm going to encounter, but I know it's going to be a journey of transformation for me. And uh, in the passage we've just had read to us, we have two blokes who are on a journey that also ends up being a journey different from the one they thought they were going to be taking. 
just to put this passage into a bit of context, for these guys, things have already turned out differently from what they were expecting. Jesus is dead. The one in whom they placed all their hopes, all their dreams. The one who performed miracles, who spoke with real authority. The one who they thought would restore justice to Israel. The one who only a week earlier entered Jerusalem and was hailed king on the back of a donkey. This apparent king suffered a criminal's death, being executed by being hung on a cross in excruciating pain, and then being buried in a tomb. Had they really got it all wrong? Was Jesus just another good bloke? Had Jesus actually been deceiving them? And they've been thinking about these things for a couple of days. Jesus died on the Friday. They've had the whole of the Sabbath, the Saturday, and now it's Sunday. And they're in this place, Jerusalem, that continues to speak to them of death. And what's more, earlier in the day, on the Sunday, some women, a couple of Marys, a Joanna and some others, turn up and they say to, they say to these, these couple of disciples that they've been to the tomb and that angels have appeared and have told them that Jesus is alive. And for these two guys, for these two followers of Jesus, this is the last straw. They cannot stay in a place that continues to speak to them about death. And so they go. They just go. They leave. They leave Jerusalem. For these women to come and say such a ridiculous, such a stupid, such a nonsensical thing is almost as if to pour salt into an open wound. It's to poke fun at something that's so painful, so hurtful. They've got to go. And so they leave Jerusalem. And as they leave, the two of them together form an exclusive insular community. One that welcomes only those who think like them. They know what they know. They know that Jesus is dead. They don't have the emotional reserves to begin to contemplate anything else. And as the two of them go on this walk together, as they become this insular community, they continue the same conversations they've already been having. How could this happen? Is this really Jesus? What does this mean for our future? Their attitude is, if you think like us, 
If we're having the same conversation, we'll stick with you. Otherwise, we're off. And as the women turn up, that's what happens. They go. They've got to go. One of the things I've most enjoyed about my time in Aldridge, in fact, I'm sure the most enjoyable thing for me in Aldridge, has been quite simply seeing people meet with Jesus. It is such an honour. It is such a joy to see people encounter Jesus, either for the first time or as they grow in their existing relationships with Jesus. For me, even just the smallest step in the direction towards God can have amazing consequences for this life and eternal consequences uh, in the next as well. But I think one of the hard things about being in Aldridge has been seeing how pain in people's lives, sometimes decades-old pain, can hold people back from stepping into the future that God has for them. And all churches, even here at APC, we're full of broken people because we're human. But I, I do wonder at times whether... Perhaps at APC, there are slightly more of us who've been hurt by previous churches or previous church leaders in the past. And all of us, to one degree or another, have been hurt by other individuals to one extent or another in the past. And as a result of that, I do wonder at times whether, quite understandably, to try and protect ourselves, we shut down. We build up walls. We become resistant to anything or anyone that might resemble the cause of that pain from the past. For our two friends here in this passage, as these women come along, they begin to stir up some of the pain they're already experiencing following Jesus' death. One of the things I really respect about John is how he has sought to share his leadership with others. But I know that there have been many times that John has really battled when seeking to move this church forward. And uh, whether we're able to admit it or not, I do wonder at times whether there can be this underlying uh, pain that has its roots in our pain from the past. And so we build walls and we surround ourselves with people who look like us, who think like us, who do what we do. But we will resist anyone and anything, any situation that seems to resemble some of the causes of our pain from the past. I've seen a little bit of the personal costs that Sean has paid for that. I am talking here particularly to Aldridge Parish Church. But if you're from St Thomas's or Tynings or if you're from outside the parish, have a think about how some of this might apply to your own context. What, what might God be saying to you regarding this in your own particular context?
these two disciples can't face the prospect of any further pain. So when these women turn up, they form their own insular community and they go. And uh, as they're walking along, having this same conversation over and over again, this bloke comes up alongside them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And this is big news, what's just happened. And so, not surprisingly, they say, how can you not know what we're talking about? Obviously, we're talking about Jesus' death. And these two disciples begin to explain to this apparent stranger all the events that have taken place over the past few days, including how these women, earlier in the day, have turned up and have said that apparently angels had appeared to them at the tomb and all of a sudden Jesus is alive again. And I can imagine that as these two guys say these things to this stranger, what they're expecting in return is, what a ridiculous thing to suggest. Jesus, who is dead, is suddenly alive again. Okay, whatever. I think, actually, what they want is, what a ridiculous thing to suggest. How could Jesus, who is dead, suddenly be alive again? They've left because they cannot cope with the possibility of extra pain. And they formed their own little community with people around them who think like them. So when this stranger goes on to say, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did you not know that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? When this stranger says these things, our expectation here is that they will try and push him away, just as they have done with the women earlier. He's saying pretty much the same message as the women said earlier. And this stranger, who we know to be Jesus, who the disciples at this point do not know to be Jesus, goes on to explain from the Bible that the Messiah did indeed have to suffer. And the surprising thing here is that these two disciples actually give him a chance. They actually listen to him. Because they've got two options here. They've got a choice. Push him aside in order to avoid the possibility of any further pain, any further disappointment, or give him a chance. Pay a price. Take a risk. A costly risk. And if they do that, if they listen to him, if they really listen to him, it's going to mean that they drop their defences ever so slightly. That they become vulnerable. It's going to mean the potential of further hurt. 
if we look on further how these two disciples eventually invite this stranger into their home and later find out to be Jesus, it all begins here. As they take this small step of choosing to give this apparent stranger an opportunity to speak and to be heard, to be listened to. And I want to say to you as a church that you have this same option open before you. You have a future of abundant life, great blessing, not just for you, but for the community of Aldridge as well. Or you have a future of continuing the same conversation of continuing to draw alongside you the same people, people who look like you, think like you, speak like you, do what you do. It's my prayer that you would choose this option, that you would choose to listen to the people who offer you a hope and future and life. And if you choose this option, then there will be a cost. And the people who will be leading you may not necessarily do things the way that you would do them. It may not necessarily be your cup of tea. You may think to yourself, well, if I was leading in this situation, I would do it differently. If you want this option of hope, life and a future then there's a price to pay. And you may be sitting here thinking, I'm not really talking to you personally, I am. Because if you're going to go for it, if you want this option, then it's going to take every person here, together, to go on the journey together. That every person would open their hands, just ever so slightly, To give the other person a chance to speak and to be heard. To really be listened to. I was really encouraged to hear uh, last week that uh, a conversation took place between some of uh, our younger members of the church and some of the older members of the church with uh, a couple of wardens and John. That, as far as I'm concerned, is a healthy conversation. If we're going to go for it, if we're going to have this future of hope and life, then I think more of those conversations are probably going to have to take place. And all of that is on the big church scale. But individually and personally as well, if we're going to step into the future that God has for us, Because he has amazing plans for every one of us here. If we're going to step into that, then we do need to be willing to lay aside some of those past hurts, past disappointments. To learn to trust that God is not going to lead us into places that hurt us. Yes, they probably will not be easy. Yes, it's probably going to mean stepping out of our comfort zone. But he's never going to lead us somewhere that will damage us or hurt us.
As I mentioned earlier, uh, the best part of my job is quite simply seeing people meet with Jesus. I love it. And uh, for me, one of those people who kind of demonstrate what I'm talking about here is someone who I'm going to call Nicola. That's actually not her name. And uh, she'd probably be quite surprised to know that I'm talking about her right now. But for me, uh, Nicola is one of these people. And uh, I first met Nicola about three years ago. And uh, she wasn't a Christian at this point, um, and she came along with someone else. And uh, after a few weeks, uh, I could begin to see that she was really taking an interest in this person of Jesus. And I had the real privilege of praying with her as she invited Jesus into her heart. And uh, Nicola had quite a broken background, quite a hurt background. But she joined a discipleship group, and uh, as the weeks and as the months went past, slowly you could see Jesus was changing her. She was literally being changed by the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit in her was birthing in her the fruit of the Spirit. And she was still the same bubbly, lively character. She was still the same person who was great to be around. But she exudes life. She's one of these people who has sought to work beyond the pain and the disappointments of the past and has begun to embrace the future that God has for her. It's my prayer that you as individuals and as a church would seek to do the same. For our two friends in the passage we're looking at today, it all began as they took that risky step of uh, listening to this apparent stranger and allowing him to talk about a subject that had previously caused so much pain and disappointment. And as they arrive at their home, this stranger once again gives them another opportunity Another chance for them to choose to invite Jesus in. Jesus never forces his way into our lives. He always gives us that opportunity to invite him in. And as they've been going on this journey, as they've been walking along together, they've realised that there's something in this. What this guy is saying, there's something true here. And they realise that their hearts are burning within them. As he speaks. And so as they get to their house, they urge him to stay. They say, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And Jesus does. And as they sit down for dinner, the normal thing and the expectation here is that as the hosts, they would break the bread and the meal would begin. It's the normal thing that happens at the beginning of a meal back then. But as they're about to do that, as they're sat down at the table, this stranger takes the bread and he breaks it. Suddenly, the hosted has become the host. As we drop our defences, 
as we seek to step into the future that God has for us as a church and as individuals, as we seek to host Jesus, what actually happens is that he becomes the host. We get invited into God's life. God opens opens himself up to us. We get to share in him. And finally, they see it. Suddenly, they get it. It's Jesus. The whole time, it's been Jesus. He was the one on the road. He's the one there at the meal with them. It's Jesus. Jesus is alive. Jesus has overcome death. And Jesus has now overcome death in them. As they open their hands to him, Jesus steps into their pain and he transforms it into life. They're changed people. And as Jesus disappears from their midst, once again, they've got to go. Once again, they've got to get out of this place. Last time, they were in Jerusalem, this place that represents death, and they go. Now, death has been overcome, and it's been overcome in them. And they go back to that place that represented death. And as those changed people, they will be people who will bring it to life. It turns out as they get there, that Jesus has also already appeared to them. That Simon, Peter, has already seen Jesus. They already know that Jesus is alive. APC, as you drop your defences, as you choose to listen to the people who not only look like you and think like you, but the people who offer life, hope and a future... Not only will you step into God's future for you, but you'll find that you'll be propelled outwards. You'll so want to tell people about the love of Jesus that you've encountered, that you've got to share it with other people. After Easter, you're beginning this uh, natural evangelism course. Well, this is where it starts. Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Trust those who God has placed in authority over you. And you will fall in love with Jesus in a way that you've not known before and you want to share it with others. It will change the community of Aldridge. It will change your workplaces, your schools, your homes, your friendship groups. But take that step. Drop your defences. Step into the future that God has for you as a church and as individuals. And I'm going to ask Andy Lees and Jen if you'll come to the front. Andy, because he kind of represents St. Thomas's and Jen, uh, obviously for tie-ins. Right, Chris, 
We've done, from time to time, some theological reflection together, right, Mace? Little bits, yes. A little bit of that. Right, he's, yes. got his, he's done his dissertation. He's all ready for the off. And I'm reading nothing to do with theology at the minute. I'm reading a book uh, which is called Prisoners of Geography. It's about geopolitics. The reason why I want to share that tonight is, and I had no idea what he was going to say, Chris, I want to thank you for the years you've spent here. I want to thank you for what this place has meant to you and what you've given to us in your ministry. But the book that I'm reading says we are all, everywhere across the world, prisoners of our geography. Whether it's mountains, oceans or whatever, it defines nations and continents. And there is a sense in which the kingdom of God releases us from those ties. So I want to say, thank God for bringing you here. I want to say, thank God for what he's done in your life while you've been here. And tonight, I want to release you from this place. I want to release you from the confines of Aldridge to step out into God's future for you. And we do so with love in our hearts. We do so for longing that we believe that God has an expansive thing to accomplish in your life. So, Chris, go with as little fear as you can into that future. Go because God is there. He's not confined by the geography of this location or even those that have shaped you from being a little boy. He has a future for you which is beyond the present. So I'm going to anoint you in a particular way as you move on. And as I anoint you, I say to us, this bit I did plan with Chris, I say, let us, please, not be prisoners of our geography. <coughs> Young people who are our students who've gone from this place, come back if you will, come back if God calls you, but step out into the place in God's world that sets you free to accomplish the things of the kingdom of heaven. And those of us who remain here, let us not be tied by our geography. Let us not be tied by our past narratives, but move into the fullness of reality that God purposes for all his people. So for Chris, I anoint you in the name of the Lord. I pray that he will liberate your mind and fill you with grace and joy in believing. I pray that he will release you from those things that tie you to place or people and set you free to do great things for the kingdom of heaven. I anoint your hands that they may be hands which bless the broken and the hurting and bring others into the liberty and the fullness of the spirit that you so long for yourself and for us. And riskily, I anoint your feet. Chris, I anoint your feet, not only for this forthcoming walk, but to step out, to step out from the confines of geography and the pathways you've walked thus far, that you may experience God's future for you with great freedom, much delight, and with all the power of heaven behind your back. Go with our love. Go in God's grace and do so with delight and anticipation in your heart and your mind. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Give him another round of applause.
So then, folks, it's been a great Easter day. It's been a wonderful weekend that we've had as we've walked the journey uh, from the Passover through the cross and into the full liberty of the resurrection of the Son of God. We come now to our final hymn when the offerings of God's people, our regular members, can be received, and then a final prayer of blessing. Please stand. <laughs>